0: In just 10 minutes, I was covered, and boom, family protected. Thanks to Ethos, my family won't have to worry about the bills if the unpredictable happens to me.
1: Ethos, fast and easy online term life insurance. Up to $2 million in coverage with no medical exam. Some policies as low as a dollar a day. Answer a few health questions and get your free quote at ethoslife.com audio. That's E-T-H-O-S-Life dot com slash audio. When things feel a bit chaotic, Instacart helps liver, milk, and sausage. Add a little life to your cart. Get stuff from literally all your stores, from baby wipes to albacore. Add a little life to your cart Instacart Helps get your groceries Your first three deliveries are free Download Instacart Add life to cart Terms apply
2: Hello and welcome back to season six of the referendum podcast brought to you by Finflam Sports.com with your host, Big John, and lead analyst, Jesse J. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. This is Big John with Jesse J. Jesse, how are you doing today? Good. How about you? Pretty good. Um, the we just got done wrapping up Sunday night football between the uh Buffalo Bills and the New York Giants. Um, the Buffalo Bills to me got the escape with the win. Um, can you tell me what you, your, your your initial thoughts about the game were? So
0: the game was, I thought, pretty sloppy. I thought the Bills really never got anything going offensively until late in the game when they got the touchdown. It was really, this game was about the Giants making mistakes. They had the ball on the goal line basically twice and came away with no points. And that's something you can't do if you want to
2: win. And they lost 14-9 to to the Bills. And they had a the chance to win or at least score twice.
0: If the Giants
2: kick a field goal,
0: if they just would have kicked a field goal at the end of the first half, and then with the situation they were in at the end of the second half, they would have had a chance to kick a field goal to win the game. And those are things you can't do when you're playing a backup quarterback and you've had some of the injuries they've had. To me, that just that that's coaching. That yeah, you want your quarterback, your backup quarterback, to handle the end of the first half a little bit better. But you have to, you have to, as a coach. Sometimes you have to be a little bit conservative in those situations, realizing that you have a backup quarterback. And I felt like the giant situational
2: awareness was not great tonight. Not at all. Um, I thought that this is, this is going to go into one of my um, issues of, of the week six analysis. Um, I'll just bring it up now so I don't have to talk about later. And that's the fact that it was under my one of my top five, I told you shows of the week. And that is the issue, as I've said before, isn't just Daniel Jones in New York but as Brian Dable and his show tonight. I mean, it, it, that's a fair statement, don't you think?
0: I feel like he's really regressed from last year. Last year, I believe he won coach of the year. And he did. Edit. He got a lot of praise. And this year, I feel like it's been the complete opposite. We've seen him make a lot of mistakes and just simple boneheaded coaching decisions. And I feel like have really hurt his team.
2: Yes. And the um, I was against the fact that he, he won the award. I didn't think he deserved it or he was deserving of it. Um, I thought it should have went to um, my Detroit Lions head coach. Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell, thank you. And um, I just think he did a better job with what he had. Um, Brian Dable just doesn't – he doesn't ooze anything to me. He doesn't – he's just not it. And to me, this is the perfect example of that.
0: Yeah, I was just – I was really surprised by how unprepared the Giants were for certain situations. And some of it goes on – Tyrod Taylor, he's a veteran – quarterback and he's played and had a lot of experience but sometimes coaching is just we try to make it sound like it's rocket science and it's not sometimes it's about putting your your players in position to succeed you're you're putting them into the best uh, situations to succeed and it's as simple as it looked like tyron taylor at the end of the first half check from a passing play to a run play that's to me when you just you have to tell your quarterback this is the play we're running. This is what it's gonna be. Don't check out of it. We're gonna run one play. If it doesn't work, we'll
2: live to we'll live another down to kick a field goal and go in halftime. And I feel well, like that's the, that, that's the issue with coaches like that. Um you just you just made a made made a great point. Um it's not rocket science. Have you have you never heard of KISS? Keep it simple, stupid.
0: It, and I feel like the Giants, if they would have just done
2: that a few times this year, they'd be in a much better position than what they are now. Saquon Barkley came back to this game, and I think um towards the the latter part of the game, he played pretty well.
0: It, I feel like in this situation, you're on the you're on the one-yard line. You have to give the ball to your best player. And their best player is Saquon Barkley. Whether, he looked after the game. Whether, whether you think he's fully healthy or not, or or oh, we like how Tyrod's a mobile quarterback and maybe give him a one run pass option to me. In that situation, Saquon's your best player, you give him the ball. And you live with the results and not giving him the ball there. I felt like was a big mistake on the Giants
2: part. I agree with that. And the fact that, you know, can you believe that we had a Darren Waller sighting a few times a night? I couldn't believe it. Um, just real quick, the the throw to win the game from Tyron Taylor to the end zone, the second penalty or what should have been a second penalty to um, Darren Waller in general and, and, and regulation because the game was already over. They had, a, they had a penalty one. They had one penalty. Then they should have had another penalty. When he threw the ball to Tyra Taylor, the guy was already holding him. The, yeah. um, Chris, well, Collinsworth, our- a- Chris Collinsworth asked the uh, referee for NBC. He said, well, what do you think? He made excuses. Chris Collinsworth said, okay, well, you're saying if he was holding him before he jumped up, I could see it would have been holding. But as he said, as he's jumping in the air, there has to be something significant that's going to prevent him from catching the ball. He made that excuse. If you- So Chris Collinsworth said, okay, let me come back to the video. The video clearly showed before, as soon as he took off, the defender was holding Darren Waller while on the ground. That's automatic holding. So the official changed his narrative.
0: To me, this is a simple thing that could be corrected by uh, replay. Yes. But because, of, because of the ref's inability and in their ego, yep. we away. This was something we had as, as a reviewable play. They got taken away because refs couldn't handle the criticism from missing calls. And, and to yeah. me, to me, it, this is a simple one right there. The guy's wearing white gloves. Maybe the ref just missed it, but you go to the replay. It would have taken five seconds. It was clearly pass interference and bad I actually thought that the last play that wasn't called, the no call, was worse than the one that got the Giants to the one yard line. Yes, and it just it, it was, it was to the point where it was just to me egregious because you could you could see his handles inside of the jersey and he was actively pulling it with two hands. Yeah, th- that's one of those ones where you you ask well, what are the solutions? And the solutions are easy. It's just that the refs didn't like it, which to me is why you need it, it, you need two or three different people in the in in the booth in the replay booth who are it, independent arbiters in this situation that they're making the final call. I know if they I know they say that they do that anyways, but to me this one is an easy call. Any anybody watching it that's not a Bills fan or a Giants fan, just Anyone who has seen football before knows that's past experience.
2: It, it was pretty egregious to me. Um, which to me, it wasn't that great of a game, but it was a competitive game. Um, Josh Allen, I'll, I'll get to Josh Allen later. Um, but it was it, it was an enjoyable game. It wasn't the greatest game. You know, it wasn't a classic, but it, it was an enjoyable game to me. I also thought Tyrod Taylor played good. Saquon Barkley played well. Uh, the coaching from the New York Giants sucked, um, and the coaching from the Buffalo Bills side. I don't think was any better, to be honest with you. Well, to me,
0: this game comes down to the. It comes down to the two plays and the one at the end of the first half, one at the the end of the second half. I really think there was a, there was a scenario, there was a situation in this game, which I believe it was, it, it was a, it, it was a what I believe it might have been six to thirteen or something. It, the Giants were in the red zone, and it was when they kicked their third field goal. And instead of trying, it's fourth and inches. Instead of trying to go for it or just run forward to get the first down, they decided to kick the field goal. And I really feel like that was a sign of Brian DeBall and his lack of aggressiveness in this game. I yes. really, in that situation, you have to give your team a chance to. Yeah, you, you have to give your team a chance to win.
2: Absolutely correct. It,
0: it was it was it was seven to six, I believe. It was seven to six. They went up nine to six. That's a situation in which you try to. Go four and fourth down, you get the touchdown, and you try to go up by a touchdown. And the lack of aggressiveness there has been kind of the issue with Brian Ball. I feel like this season is that his
2: decision making is very erratic. It's 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 so conservative. It doesn't make any sense. I, I, it, you can't play like that. You need every piece of optimism you can for your team to go forward to look forward to something. You're not even entrusting your team to to to, to go five yards after they already got. You down to score when you didn't even think They could that's how, it, how that's how it comes off to me Well yeah I mean you,
0: you Just look at it it was It was seven to six fourth And one from the buffalo 11 yard line It It's four it's fourth and Inches it wasn't even a full yard And, and instead of going for it and trying to get the First down and putting yourself in a position to get a touchdown You kick the field goal And you you make it harder For your team to win right because you have. To, I think in this situation you You have to balance Having a backup quarterback and having guys in and out, but to me, every time you get a touchdown with, every time you have an opportunity to score a touchdown with the backup quarterback, you have to go for it. That's just that's just how I feel about it. Is that if once you get in that 15 to 20 yard inside the 15 to 20 yard line with the backup quarterback and you have a situation where it's fourth and short, you've got to go for it because every chance you have to maximize yourself getting a touchdown, you you have to take those opportunities. And I feel like Grind Ball didn't do that tonight. Correct.
2: And the one.
0: They run out of time in the first half, and that's just where you have to. You have to, as a veteran, as, yes, you have the veteran quarterback, but as as Brian Ball, you have to make sure that you don't have a run play there, and that it's just a quick rollout, or you do something to give yourself time to kick field goal. It's just simple, simple mistakes that have really cost the Giants this year.
2: I couldn't agree more, and I think he the the loss um, puts them in a deeper hole. Tyrod Taylor played well enough to win the game. Brian Dayball cost him the game. Um, so how next week is going to fare, I don't know. But it should be interesting going forward. And if he even keeps his job by the end of the season.
0: It's one of the few times that it, you see a complete 180 with the coach. Where a coach wins coach of the year. And then the next year, you just you just see it fall apart so quick. Um, I can't really think of many examples of it. No, but I, I, I know it's
2: there. I, I'm with you on that. Where you you see a
0: coach who last year takes the team to the playoffs, they win a playoff game, and then the next season they just – they don't even look half of – as good as they were the season before.
2: I, I, there's two I could think of, and I, th- I think it's kind of funny. Um, oh, my God. He used to be the um, Detroit Lions head coach with Matthew Stafford, um, and he's the one who ran off the field going off on of one of the, the coaches, the opposing coach, I think it was John Harbaugh. And, um, Jim Schwartz? Jim Schwartz, yes, who's also – Now the coach for the Cleveland Browns. He's the defensive coordinator. Yes. And uh, defensive coordinator, yes. Which is ironic because the other example I was going to use is under Baker Mayfield, right after they went to the um AFC championship against the Kansas City Chiefs. That was the divisional round. Divisional round, I'm sorry. Um the next season they played like shit. Yeah, that's the only thing that could come to mind regarding that.
0: Yeah, that, that that's one of those. That's one of those that I think is a good comparison is that you see a team get so close. And in the case of the giants, they got blown out by the Eagles and the Browns were a few play Like they, they hung with the chiefs. Uh, Mahomes missed a second half, but they, they hung with the chiefs. And then the next season, it just every, it seems like everything goes wrong. And I think we're seeing that with the giants, they're experiencing a little bit of that where everything went right the season before, and then everything is going wrong this season.
2: Yes. Um, any more thoughts on Sunday night on the final night, the final game of um Sunday Night Football, I think we got kind of the full Josh Allen experience.
0: We'll get into it a little bit later, but it was the full Josh Allen experience where it, it's some big plays and some big flashy plays, along with some really inconsistent play and unevenness that always seems to appear in big games for him.
2: Absolutely, and you have pointed that out for years now. Um, well, let's let's get into the uh, to the rest of the show, heading into Week Six on the last podcast. I labeled this week upset week, whether it was on social media or just me speaking uh, to friends and family. People called me crazy because of the, the, the matchups that were going to happen this week. That just seemed like they were never the underdogs would never have a chance to win. And guess what? A lot of big things happened this week. And I think almost every game I watched, I was entertained by. And that's saying a lot because there still to me is clearly no front runner of the NFL. Who's the best team overall? Consistent on every single level. I don't see it. Um, But that just goes to the competition. It
1: is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? In traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps—you know all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, low Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com.
2: No purchase necessary. btw Group. were prohibited by law See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So let's get to some of the news of the week heading in week seven. Jets wide receiver Garrett Wilson says the turf at MetLife MetLife Stadium is garbage after his non-contact injury today. And next we have Bears quarterback Justin Fields dislocated his thumb and popped it back in. Uh, He tried to come back in the game but couldn't grip the football, according to uh, Jay Glazer. Then we got Jets um, head coach Robert Sala says they played a gauntlet of quarterbacks and and have embarrassed all of them, speaking about their defense after their win against the Eagles today. those quarterbacks have faced Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, and Mac Jones. Pretty interesting comments. We'll get to that later. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo suffers back injury and leaves the game against the Patriots. Christian McCaffrey suffers an oblique injury, and Brian Tannehill and is, and is injured and left the game in the third quarter with an ankle injury. A lot of injuries going on today. Baker, Mayf- Baker Mayfield also suffered a, uh, a left-hand injury and left the game. Um, Aaron Rodgers was on the field for the Jets, tossing the ball before the game. Dolphin superstar cornerback uh, Jalen Ramsey could return to the practice could, could return to practice as soon as this week, um, and he is currently ahead of schedule with his recovery, as as he seems to be on track to beat his initial December deadline of return. He's starting. He's targeting a early return in November. A few more notes: We got the NFL has discussed the idea of potentially hosting a Super Bowl in London at some point in the future. That's gonna fucking suck. Excuse my language. Last but, not least, last but not least, quarterback Anthony Richardson of the Indianapolis Colts is strongly considering season-ending sh- shoulder surgery on his damaged AC joint. Any thoughts about any of the news or updates that um, I just I just listed off? So Fields obviously getting
0: hurt is gonna be an issue, mainly because the Bears. This was uh, this was the season where they were supposed to take it a step forward. And really advances is a franchise. Instead, it's seemingly gone south, and now Fields is hurt. That that's a tough break. Robert Sala talking about embarrassing the quarterbacks. I mean, they're three and three. I don't really know what he's talking okay. about. You, you're three and three. You're you're an average team. Yeah, you've done okay, but like that, you shouldn't expect that. You put most of your resources into your defense. You should be able to stop teams. Yes, so. I don't know. That just felt that felt like that felt like a Sean Payton comment where it's just odd and like two weeks from now he's gonna be like, oh, I was taken out of context. So
2: you know, I wanted you, I wanted you to name that as one of the most, um, at least give your opinion on the, that thing, at least that specific thing, regarding Salah. And that's the first thing I thought about too was uh, Sean Payton. The it's an arrogant comment when you were starting to believe that your job was in jeopardy. Now you, because you're at five hundred, you feel a, a certain type of way. Um, well. It,
0: it's it's not just that. It's like you're three and three, six games of the season with Zach Wilson, who has never really shown consistency. I that that comment just feels it feels kind of odd. It felt maybe he's trying to motivate his team or like prep hype up his team, but that just it felt way too Sean Payton for me. After they bitched about Sean Payton talking about, they bitched a lot about Sean Payton in his comments about Nathaniel Hackett, and for that for them to make similar comments just a couple weeks later is just odd
2: to me. Exactly. And that's a fair point. They played him last week. That, that's, that's, that's the crazy part. Um, what are your thoughts about Aaron Rodgers being on the field, tossing the football? Yeah, I don't, I don't think Aaron's going to play. I I think he's going to try to come back
0: and I know he's doing, you know, he's doing a, he had a, he, his Achilles recovery is a little bit different than I think the average Achilles recovery, but I, I can't see him returning the season. It's just to me at his age. And then where we're at in the season. I just, I can't see him coming back.
2: He's not even in a boot. Not that I was able to see. Yeah, he was was, walking without crutches.
0: Yeah, it's one thing for him to be without a boot. But to see him actually, okay, I'm ready and physically able to play. I just don't, I don't think it's going to happen by the end of the year. Okay, well, let's get into the show. Uh, What was your best game of the week, Jess? It was the Cleveland Browns beating the San Francisco 49ers. I think it was a game that was a defensive heavy game. uh, Bad quarterback play. Overall, an entertaining game that saw the Browns beat the undefeated
2: 49ers. Huge upset. uh, That's the same game I I chose. Um, I was glad to see that – I was not glad to see Deshaun Watson not play, but to give an opportunity to an XFL quarterback like P.J. Walker to come in and do what was necessary. He didn't play great, but he did um, a good enough job to ensure that they won. He could have cost them the game several times, um, as you and I talked about prior to coming onto the show. But um, it was a good game, nonetheless. Um, he did say after the game he'll see you soon. So not sure if that means he's coming back next week or what. But I, I truly enjoyed that game, and what a huge upset! Two teams came into the NFL this week undefeated. That was the San Francisco 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles. Great game. Any comments on that that you want to you want to mention? Um, is there defense for real? Because it was questioned by a lot of the by by the opponents heading into this game.
0: So yeah, Cleveland, they've shown to have a really good defense so far. And the with them, the biggest question is when is Deshaun coming back and how effective is he? Uh, but right now, Cleveland, you gotta be feeling good about yourself beating the 49ers. They this was the game where we saw Purdy look like a seventh round, uh, a seventh round quarterback. He he had problems holding on to the ball. He didn't really look decisive. He it looked like the weather and just everything got to him, and he was really ineffective. I believe he only had 83 passing yards headed into the final drive of this game. Just not anywhere close to being good enough to win.
2: So, does he deserve to be in the MVP talks?
0: I, I think if anything, this game proved that Chris McCaffrey, if any one of those guys should be in the MVP talks, it's him. Because with him banged up, that offense just had no punch at all. And, and that was the thing, is, it's not me trying to tell you that Brock Purdy's not good, but it's also me saying Brock Purdy is being overrated in what he does. Yeah, he had a big game against Dallas, but if you look at his numbers, that's where most of them came from, is that game against Dallas. And to me, Brock Purdy, the question I've always had is, what happens when he plays a team that has a solid defense and he has to go score for score with a great quarterback? Now, this wasn't the case where he had to go score for score with P.J. Walker, but we saw the 49ers put in a difficult position where they couldn't move the ball and things weren't working. And... They got themselves in field goal range late, but it took a comedy of errors just by Cleveland and their quarterbacking play just to give the 49ers a chance and they weren't able to capitalize on it. So I think if anything, this game shows some of the limitations Purdy has and how that could affect the 49ers going into the future.
2: Absolutely. I think that's a great point. Um You had mentioned for, for weeks now that there's going to come a time when it's going to be all on Brock Purdy's shoulders and he's going to have to step up to the plate. There was no execution done after Christian McCaffrey and um, Debo Samuel left the game.
0: Yeah, it was one it, of those
2: things that was really surprising. Real me. quick, uh, let, me, let me just finish that. I thought I, I went blank for a second. Um, is that more on Kyle Shanahan
0: than Brock Purdy? Well, it felt like they didn't really throw the ball that much. I think they only threw the ball about 20 times in this game. It was obvious that Shanahan, did he didn't like what he was seeing from Purdy, so they just completely went away from the pass game. They had guys injured. So it, it really just, it limited their, it seemed like it limited their playbook. And they were really uncomfortable with what they had offensively. Um, it, it's going to be interesting because they need Debo Samuel and they need Chris McCaffrey to be healthy. And because part of the reason San Francisco has been so good is because they just have overwhelming talent because they're not paying their quarterback and that they've right. able they've built a collection of talent. It just surprised me why they didn't try to get Kittle maybe more involved. They just they, – they seem just out of sorts, both – with their quarterback and their coach, so that that, that was probably the biggest
2: takeaway I had from this game. Okay, um, we are in alignment on, on that on that take. Um, so the let's break break down the five disappointments of the week, um, regarding teams, players, or coaches. So my number one is the Seattle Seahawks offensive line cost them the win against the Cincinnati Bengals, in which they lost the game 17 to 13, and the Seahawks go three and two, and the Bengals bounce back from 0 and three to go three and three. Um, any, any truth to that? that? That that the offensive line cost the Seattle Seahawks the win against the Bengals because to me, the Bengals didn't really you know, they just didn't enough. It wasn't so, like they they they
0: outplayed them. Yeah, so for me, I feel like it's a combination of the offensive line and Geno. That the offensive line was giving up pressure and they certainly didn't help. But Geno, he just had a couple throws and he took a couple sacks that I thought were really bad in this game. And if you look at the last two drives. Or if you look at if you look at the last drive of the game, it really should have been them driving to get a field goal to win the game, but Gino had a really bad pick near the goal line, which is part of the. If you take it in totality, I think Gino and the O line were really the two biggest problems of this game, but Gino's decision making and some of his inability to escape pressure or just his indecision, his indecisive, his indecisiveness in the pocket was really the issue, and. It was one of those things where the O line will get blamed and they should get blamed, but I feel like Gino and some of his decision making was maybe the bigger issue in this game.
2: I I would, I would agree with the decision making because at one point during the game you had um, DK Metcalf heading down the sideline and he was wide open and Gino didn't see him. Gino went 27 for 41 completions, 323 yards and two interceptions. That's enough to win the game with minus the interceptions, right? You would think he just wasn't. They weren't executing when they should have, um, so they're just meaningless yards. Then you go against Joe Burrow, who went twenty four for thirty five, with one hundred and eighty five yards, two touchdowns, and one pick. So, if turnovers were the game, the name of the game here, the Bengals totally won it because of that.
0: Yeah, it, it wasn't like this was a this was a game in which the Bengals started fast, but basically after the first two drives, their offense really fell apart. And in large part, they won this game because their defense made plays in the. Geno Smith just had a couple boneheaded decisions, which really kind of cost Seattle points in this game.
2: I mean, just uh, on the execution part for conversions on third down, the Seattle Seahawks went five for twelve. The Bengals went three for eleven. The, neither team played well. But who's your number one?
0: My number one is Jalen Hurts.
2: Uh, he had a really rough game versus
0: the Jets today. He threw he threw three interceptions, including a interception that set up a game a game winning touchdown by the New York Jets. It, it was one of the more not i won't say surprising cuz the jets have a good defense as we've said earlier but they're they're just they look sloppy offensively they just all year they've looked a little bit off and this game it, everything kind of just everything just kind of came together in terms of just the bad vibes around the eagles yes. it just this season they they've had moments where they've clicked but it they don't all they don't seem like they were last year on offense Hertz was 20 and 45, 280 yards, one touchdown, was three interceptions. He got sacked twice. It just hurts, to me at least, seems like he's moving a little bit slower, and he just seems a little bit more indecisive
2: than he was last year. I mean, the the entire Eagles team had four had four turnovers. You can't win a game like that. While the Jets, yeah, J E T S had none. There were no turnovers. That's the crazy part. And th- this was a game
0: where the Jets just basically. It was don't make a mistake and wait for the Eagles to make a mistake. And the Eagles did make a mistake. It was kind of the opposite of what we normally see. Yes, and Eagles is usually the team that, okay, they can play poorly, wait for the a team like the Jets to make a mistake. Zach Wilson has a bad turnover, and they squeak out a win. In this case, it, it was Hurst basically giving the game away, and Zach Wilson didn't make the key mistake to lose them the game.
2: So the the Jets went 2-11 and on third-down conversions. The Eagles went 7-14. and They went 50% on third-down conversions. Yet, this game went went exactly how the game against the Patriots went the first game of the season. They didn't play well then, I didn't think. And I think they've had that in their system the entirety of this season. Um, I've never thought that the, the Eagles were as great as they were last year offensively, and this just shows that it's not just a fucking random game this is how they play
0: yeah it, it's this was this was a game for the eagles where you kind of got to look yourself in the mirror a little bit because they've they've had some up and down plays this year and they've not really able been able to find consistency and this was a game they lost because their offense kept turning the ball over and specifically it was jalen hurts and his decision making
1: they just it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win
0: They've kind of looked a little bit off all year, and this is where it
1: really steamrolled
0: and gave the chance, or the gave the Jets the chance to victory, or a chance to get a victory. And the Jets in this game, they were able to steal a win, despite the fact that uh, Zach Wilson had less than two hundred yards passing. And that, that's going to be the Jets' formula going forward: is their defense creating turnovers, and Zach Wilson not turning ball over and costing his team points. I couldn't agree more. Um, who's your number two? My number two is Brock Purdy. We mentioned a little bit earlier, but he he really struggled in this game, and it felt like Shanahan knew he was struggling and he just kind of went away from him. It was one of those it was one of those games where Brock Purdy hasn't really had he's had he's had struggles at times within a game, but the 49ers, for the most part have been able to figure it out. In this game, they could not figure it out. Twelve twenty seven, one hundred and twenty five yards, one touchdown, one interception, sacked three times. Just a complete mess. It really felt like it really felt like the 49ers didn't, they lost a little bit of faith in Purdy, or at least Shanahan in this individual game lost a little bit of faith in Purdy. It it felt like they moved off of him in a way, and they just tried other things up until the last drive when Purdy had to let it go so they could try to get in the field goal range. And to Purdy's credit, he got him in field goal range. They just didn't make the kick. But overall, this is this is a game, if you are concerned about the 49ers going into the playoffs with Brock Purdy as their quarterback. This is the type of game that does validate your concern because you could see some of the limitations he has. Doesn't have the greatest arm in the world, not the greatest athlete. Doesn't he's not the most imposing guy in it look like that in this game. Especially with the weather being rough. This is this isn't because it's an AFC NFC game. It's not like they're gonna see the Browns again. But this is the type of game
2: that you could see happening to Purdy in the playoffs. This is the game where he was exposed. This is the first time all season where he's had under 200 yards of throwing the ball. Um, You brought a comment about Kyle Shanahan and and his and not trusting him and Brock Purdy. I think all the other components with Christian McCaffrey and um, Debo Samuel and everybody else like that, they take the pressure off Brock Purdy. Therefore, he's not exposed. So they're able to hide a lot more of what he really can't do. Is that a fair assessment?
0: I think, yeah, I think that's fair. This was really a game that came down to the 49ers not having a plan after, and obviously you can't plan for two of your best players and McCaffrey and Samuel getting hurt. But after that, they basically had no answer to what the Browns were doing defensively. It just it looked like a punchless offense for most of the game.
2: Right. Um, was it on me? Yeah. Okay. Give me one second. Let me find the game. And here we go. Okay, so my, my number two disappointment is Arthur Smith and Desmond Ritter cost the Falcons another win, and Smith just isn't a good coach. The Falcons lost to the Washington Commanders 24-16. Um, Desmond Ritter went 28 for 47, 307 yards, two touchdowns, and three picks. But that's not saying he played any better than Sam Howe. It's just Sam's Howe's numbers didn't involve turnovers. Well, th- that was the main difference in this game is that you saw Desmond Ritter. And, and I'm saying that because I don't like Sam Howell and I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. That's why I say that. What you saw in
0: this game was Desmond Ritter and kind of his deficiencies where he he his passing was look okay, but then you start seeing the turnovers and just some of the limitations he has. And you can see that Atlanta's probably going to be in a market for a quarterback next year.
2: They have Taylor Heineke on the bench, paying him, I think, $14 million a year. <laughs> it's an <laughs> idea.
0: Probably- if you no. if you look at if they really want to try to be a playoff team, and the NFC South being as weak as it is, there's not really a standout team. Do you make the change and go to Heineke? Which you, you, if you go to Heineke, you're basically saying we don't think Ritter has a. We think he at best he's probably an average replacement level court, maybe a replacement level quarterback. And if you go but to I Heineke, can tell you he's not. And, and if you go to Heineke, you're basically saying
2: okay, well he's pr- maybe not our long term solution.
0: But for this season, he gives us the best chance to win and to get to the playoffs.
2: I hear you on that. Um, but as we said on or as I said on last week's podcast, they bought themselves another week because they won. This week, it puts everything right back into perspective because it shows who they truly are. Arthur Smith is not a good coach, he wasn't a good coach last year. Desmond Ritter is not a good is not a good football player. He gets lucky, that's what it is. Um, my third disappointment is the Tennessee Titans need to rebuild. It's over for them. Derrick Henry is the most overrated running back in football, and Ryan Tannehill is done. Over the past, I think, couple seasons, he has consistently, repeatedly gotten gotten hurt. Um, If he's supposed to be the the best playmaker on that team besides Derrick Henry, and Derrick Henry's not performing, there is no chance for these guys to win whatsoever. And I think that the future of Mike Vrabel is in a balance of the coming years, because if this is his team that he has put together that he thinks can win a championship, he needs to go. The entire Tennessee Titans organization needs a complete rebuild. That's my third disappointment. Yeah. For me with, when it comes to variable, I, I think it's that they
0: basically squeezed everything they could out of that Titans team. They got to, they got to an AFC championship in 2019. Uh, they, they, they lose to Kansas city 2020. They lose to the Ravens in the wild card 2021. They had the division they had the bye week. They were the one seed. They lose to the Bengals in the divisional round. That was really their best chance of getting back to an AFC Championship game. Correct. Or even getting to a Super Bowl. But they lose the they lose the game at home. Tannehill has a bad game. And since then, the last two years it's been downhill, mainly because Tannehill has had trouble staying healthy. Garrick Henry's been banged up. And the team overall has just gotten worse. But I, I think they're gonna stick with variable. I think they should stick with variable. I think it's time to play Malik Willis or Will Levis and see if any of them, see either of those two guys could be a quarterback next year for them. Who's your third disappointment? Third disappointment is Geno Smith. I felt like he had a really rough game. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. I feel like he kind of cost the Seahawks that game versus the Bengals. Just some of his decision-making, some of his pocket awareness. It, he just seemed off today. And it <laughs> feels like if he plays 5% better, they probably win that game. Uh, I agree. I feel like it was, as his time, as the starter for the Seattle Seahawks, this is probably his worst game as a starter for that team.
2: Uh, and, just, and that's not to say that he didn't have some great throws. He had some amazing throws down the field. He really did. Yeah,
0: Late in the game, he had a great throw to get him in in scoring range. It just, boneheaded, it felt like a few boneheaded plays and him just holding off the ball a little bit too long. Just a couple plays here and there that cost them and seemed like he was just off a little bit. Uh, which is why he's one of my disappointments for this week.
2: What's the talk that that um, their head coach has with Geno Smith tomorrow morning?
0: I think it's one of those ones where you just you just kind of kind of you have to keep going and and pushing through. It just felt like he had an off week, and uh, you you come back and you try to fix some of the problems you had, and you just try to be a little bit better.
2: Cause it, I think you I like made was, a good point where he seeped back into the old Geno Smith.
0: Yeah, it, I don't think it was even that. He had some great throws in this game. He did. A lot of it was just he just seemed a little bit off. And sometimes sometimes that happens for a quarterback where you're a second or two slow. And that can be the difference between winning and losing. Uh, that's Bengals, fair. They have, a, they have a solid defense. But uh, I think this is one of those ones where Gino's going to watch them and think, man, we left some plays out there. Uh, that could have helped us win the game.
2: I think that and I think that's a fair um, disappointment. Um, and your fourth one is?
0: Saints and Derek Carr. Derek Carr threw for 350 yards and they had 13 points and lost the game. And it like, wasn't a,
2: it wasn't a nice 350 yards either.
0: Th- this game, so CJ Stroud, 13 of 27 for 199 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. If you th- if you think that okay, well, you know, it wasn't great. He was uneven. He for the most part, CJ Stroud has done pretty well, but that was a bad game from him. Derek Carr, 32 of 50, 353 yards, one touchdown, one interception. The fact he threw for 353 yards and they had 13 points is just mind-boggling. It's confusing. The Saints just – it feels like they're a great match for Derek Carr because they have a lot of talent, and then you look at Derek Carr, oh, he's going to go to this new team and be in a better situation. He's going to put up big numbers. And they're, they're, they're made perfect for each other. They have a lot of hype. On paper, they should be better than they are, but they're just a very average team. And in this case, average team,
2: average quarterback, perfect combination. Okay, so my number four disappointment, it's been disappointing from week one of, of the season. And this goes for the entire NFL. <clears throat> the NFL has a problem with their offensive lines not being good enough to block the pass rush or to protect the quarterback whatsoever at all. And it's across the board for every single team the Chiefs, the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Lions, the Bills. There is no good offensive line in the NFL right now. Um, there I mean, okay, so there's a there's just an article that just came out on, on Bleacher Report. It's lack of offensive line development and NFL falls on league and coaches. While the coaches are trying to put it on the blame on college, it doesn't do any justification by, by doing that whatsoever. So um in an interview conducted last year as part of the Brock and Sock Show in Seattle, Seattle Seahawks assistant head coach Slash offensive line coach Tom Cable, Torch Collegiate offensive lineman with sweeping generalizations. I'm not wanting to offend anybody, but college football offensively has just gotten really just really bad fundamentally. You see these big bodies and think he's six foot five, three hundred, and his arm is this, and you watch him and he's not a finisher, he doesn't he doesn't train, he can't stay balanced, he can't play with leverage. You see all these negatives, and I think I can get a defensive guy. Who runs a little faster jumps a little higher that's got an aggressive streak in him at least i can see that on defense i'm going to have to retrain an offensive lineman that's coming out of college the right way because they're not doing it correctly strong words uh, and that's just that's not the end of the statement but those are strong words on many of the things that i've never understood why the development of offensive linemen is not conducted properly during the offseason um. So he finished the statement with saying, "Unfortunately, I think we're doing a huge disservice to offensive football players, other than the receivers that come out of come out of these spread systems." Well, cables? well, cables? Comp, a complaint ultimately break down to his different expectations placed on the position compared to other coaches. What are your thoughts on that? I may have spoken too fast, but um, do you get so, the gist of that? Uh, yeah, I
0: I got the gist of that. I think the main issue can be pointed pointed towards a team like Detroit. We all think Detroit has a good offensive line jared Goff got sacked three times today and that's from what we think it is a good offensive line yes the, for overall the offensive line play has hasn't been as good it's a little bit surprising because typically the offensive line play is sloppy the first three or four weeks when teams really just it's their offensive line hitting other guys for an extended period of time uh and in, in this case it doesn't it seems like some of them haven't gotten better and it's taking a little bit longer so i think the biggest issue is the lack of practice time. The, the lack of time in the pads for the offensive line affects them more than it does any of the other players, whether it's linebackers, receivers, tight ends, defensive backs, safeties. Offensive line players need to be in pads, and they're not in pads because of the new CBA and some of the new rules that limit pad time and padded practices. Obviously, you're trying to keep players healthy, but guys, <laughs> offensive line, as on the defense line, need to be in pads if they're going to get used to blocking and just technique and everything that goes into it. And the lack of the lack of time in pads and just hitting each other that does, I think, have an effect on off on offensive line play. And I think what we're seeing is that them not being in pads has led to some really sloppy play. I also think some of it is on the quarterbacks. For some of the offensive line play we've seen is on some of the quarterbacks. And their indecision and their in uh, decision and just indecisiveness in general. Uh going back to the Seahawks and Bengals game, watching Gino, you know, he looked really uncomfortable and he looked very indecisive. He took a couple sacks that I feel like he could have thrown the ball away, or just if he would have made the decision to scramble a second sooner, he'd have had a little bit of room to run. And I think it's a combination of just the offensive line not being ready from a physical standpoint, and sometimes quarterbacks not being fully
2: sure of what they should do on a given play. I'm going to break down. Oh, I'm i I'm a read, and you can break down the rest of this, this article. Okay. So it says Kyle Long, Larry Warford, Larry Warford, Zach Martin, Gabe Jackson, Joel Batonio, and Mitch Morse all became instant impact rookies upon their arrivals. None of them previously played in a traditional pro style offense. These are talking about linemen. This year's draft class doesn't paint an entirely different picture either. The Baltimore Ravens drafted Notre Dame's Ronnie Stanley sixth overall. The Miami Dolphins spent the eleventh, the thirteenth overall pick on Ole Miss's Laramie Tunsell. Three picks later, the Detroit Lions chose Ohio State's Taylor Decker. Seattle rounded up the first round when it chose Texas A&M's Jermaine Ifedi. Altogether, these altogether these teams chose seven offensive linemen in the first round. Four four of them were still deemed talented enough to warrant such picks despite any concerns of their collegiate system. In total, 41 offensive linemen heard their names called on draft weekend, and 59% of those selected didn't even play traditional offense. Okay, before you go, I'm going to comment on that. This, and I harp on it every single podcast, this is why the XFL is crucial to the NFL. If you guys have guys who are 350 pounds sitting at home not working out, not doing anything to help their, their game over the summer. These guys just get done playing in the summer. These guys are healthier than the guys who are coming back to play, getting paid all this money from the XFL. These are the guys you need to implement into your systems. These are the guys who just got reps. This is the most important thing to make the, the, the XFL the mo- successful. The offensive line, you have pointed this out several times, Jess. This is the key. Go ahead. Well, there's only so much that we see a lot in training
0: camp now. A lot of, like, shadow blocking because the offensive line defensive line are wearing pads, and I feel like that's part of the problem is just you have to have guys in pads, and you have to have them practicing their job. And a lot of times they're not able to because of the limitations with practice. So when they actually do get out on the field and they're hitting, for some teams it's taking longer than other, than others, and – what we're seeing overall, I think, this season is just a lack of consistent line play. And I think that is directly correl- correlated to the fact that a lot of these offensive linemen aren't really hitting. And some of them don't even play in preseason. So it's it's taken longer than it normally would for these guys to finally click and develop as
2: a unit. Uh, to give further context on to what much said, he said, In the old days, we didn't have the collective bargaining agreement that we have now. And that is, you can't coach the player from the last game until about June 1st, actually closer to April 1st. They can go on the field and do anything. They can't go on the field and do anything. You can't even talk to them. So these offensive linemen are wandering around and it's not an instinctive position. This is truly a skill position. Skill is something that you learn to do, it isn't something instinctively like the other guys that catch passes and stuff like that. So the offensive linemen, He's not perfecting his skills in the offseason. So he shows up June 1st and he's been working out in the weight room, but he's not perfecting those body movements that you need to do to pass protect, to pass protect. In the old days, we didn't have that. I spent time with say former Browns defensive line coach, Tom Pratt, or in Indianapolis with former uh, coach line coach, John Tierlink. We'd go on the practice field with gym trunks on and we'd pass, pass rush 80 or 90 times during the practice while they were down they're throwing passes that's the key Jess is that collective bargaining agreement hurting the NFL to protect uh, the quarterbacks i think it has
0: a little bit from the offensive line perspective like obviously you don't want you don't want your players wearing each other are wearing out in training camp just because they're hitting each other too much and obviously you want them to be healthy long term but i think the lack of physicality has really hurt some of these teams and their overall offensive line play. I think it's one of those reasons why, at least for the offensive line, you need those guys playing in the preseason. Yes. Maybe you take your quarterback out, maybe you take your running back out, your receivers. You need guys that are going to play for you on the O line and D line to play snaps, uh, specifically on the O line. If you want to, if you want your O line to come out and be good immediately, it's going to take reps, which means you need to use the three preseason games to get those guys reps.
2: I couldn't agree more. Um, what do you think about the XFO aspect of it?
0: I do think it's important to, if you're a team with a battle offensive line or guys you're not really sure you're going to keep for a full season, to maybe try to bring in some of those guys from an XFL or a USFL because they've had the reps and they're maybe more ready than some of the guys who you pick up maybe late in the draft or guys who are free agents who have bounced around or were on a practice squad. Some of these guys from the spring league have more reps and playing time. So they might be more ready to play than some of these other guys who haven't
2: had the reps. I mean, we could have used maybe some of those guys from the XFL if it, was, if it would have been around if COVID didn't happen for Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. And look what happened. Yeah, and, and it's one—it's one of those things where it's there's always going to be a little bit of
0: an issue and an imbalance because the offensive line—they're not really in pads that much. But I think it's—I think it's important and the lesson we should take away. From some of the offensive line play at times this year, is that the preseason is important and you need to play those guys more than other skill position players. That those guys, their job is it is timing, it's technique, and it's just practice and repetition. Yes. And that's what the preseason should be used for with offensive line. Doesn't matter if you have a great offensive line that's highly paid
2: or a bunch of rookies. You need to get those guys reps. I couldn't agree more. Um, my fifth disappointment is the entire Patriots organization. Um, I'm done watching Mac Jones. I'm done watching Bill Belichick try to be slick with his plays. Um, his special teams was not good today. And time's ticking. I don't care what nobody says. He's just not a good coach. And I think, talk about being exposed. He's been exposed of not being that great of a coach without Tom Brady. They lost to the Raiders today, 21-17. The record is now 1-5. Mac Jones went 24-33 for 33 with 200 yards and one interception. No touchdowns. You can't have that. The game's so close and you still can't score. You can't have that. This has been the MO for your team. You may come close, but you can never finish the job. You can't have that. It starts at the top. And if Robert Kraft's the problem, well, he better get his ass in gear and get rid of every single person in that front office, including Bill Belichick. Because Bill belichicks I said it before, his ability to draft sucks. He's not helping the organization, the people who pay their good money to come watch the game and watch their team win. They, I talk about Tennessee Titans. This team is worse than Tennessee. This whole team needs a revamp from top to bottom on every single level.
0: Yeah, over, overall, talking. the Patriots' biggest issue is just they they have Mac Jones, and they're trying to give him as many reps as they can. I don't think they want to admit defeat, but
2: it, it, right now it's not working. And their offense is just it's hard to watch. Yes, it did. Um, five surprises. Who's your number one? Who are your five surprises of the week of uh, this week? Oh my well, my last disappointment is the Giants, just in general. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you went there. We talked about it earlier.
0: It's just the drop from year one of year two to Debol and just some of their decision making, some of their some of their just overall the look of the team, just it it's a big surprise and the quality has just dropped year from year one to year two. And for me, That's why the Giants, at least so far, they've been one of my bigger disappointments, just because you saw last year a team, everything went right, and then this year, everything's gone wrong, and they don't seem to have the answers, and they are just kind of throwing things and hoping it it sticks, and I think this game versus the Bills was the ultimate example of that, where they just look discombobulated. Very bad. And my, my first surprise was the Browns' running game. They lost Nick Chubb. He was you know, obviously probably the best running back in the NFL. But they were playing the 49ers and they were able to have a successful run game. And it really helped them ice the ice the game or at least put themselves in position to kick the field goal and take the lead. So my my uh surprise for this week for me is the Clinton Browns running game.
2: Um well you got Kareem Hunt who has been underappreciated ever since he left Kansas City. I'm un- and undervalued. So I'm extremely happy that they signed him um several weeks ago after his injury. So I'm very happy for Kareem Hunt and the Cleveland Browns at that. Um, my number one uh, surprise was the Washington Commanders' offense and defense stepped up when they needed to. I'm not saying that their offense was better, but I think their defense was a lot better than the Falcons. They had three takeaways from the Falcons and Desmond Ritter, as I pointed out to earlier, of how abysmal um, Desmond Ritter played and the coaching job by Arthur Smith. But I was, I was pretty surprised that Beany was able to get these guys into tip top shape, and something that you and I complained about last week about how Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio's defense didn't step at all, step it up at all last week, and they seem to do so t- um, today or last night. Um, Who's your number two? It's actually Eric Beany.
0: I think he's done a nice job with Sam Howell. Um, I um, I think he's done a way better job than you're giving him credit for. He's working with a. He's working with a fifth-round quarterback from 2022 who is making, what I believe, his seventh start in the NFL. Eric Manby wasn't really given a lot in terms of, the, yeah, the, the commanders have offensive skill, talent. Offensive line's a little bit shaky. they, they Terry McLaurin, uh, Jahan Dotson, Deami Brown, Curtis Samuel, Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson, they have good playmakers. But in terms of having a fifth-round quarterback who you're not overly confident in, and he also takes a lot of sacks, I think bien gotten basically everything he could out of Sam Howell. And if, if he's going to turn Sam Howell into just maybe not a great, but a passable NFL quarterback, I think that shows how good of a job he's actually done.
2: I'll let you have your moment for this week. Um, just to go on to what you are talking about, Kareem Hunt, I would, my second surprise of the, of the week was the Cleveland Browns team and I think they're better than we thought than we thought they were or that we think they are. Um, just given time, there's still development that needs to happen with Deshaun Watson just because he was off for so long. Kareem Hunt is gonna be another factor that's gonna have to fucking develop more and it's gonna help the team overall. The defense is good. Miles Garrett is a beast. I can't remember who the other guy is on the other side, but that entire defensive line is just amazing. Um, so I, I give I give praise to them and um was it um God, I'm sorry, Jess. Who's the number one receiver? It no is. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, for who? Amari Cooper. He did very well today. I was he. He caught very, very clutch uh, passes. He had four receptions for 108 yards and averaged 27 yards per catch. Pretty great. I was very happy for him and he caught some big time passes today from PJ Walker. Uh, outside of a few runs, uh, the Cleveland had
0: especially later in the game. Uh, Amari Cooper was really the only offense Cleveland had. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Um, what's your number three? Uh, Lions defense. I thought they played really well. Uh, the Buccaneers, who have been kind of frisky this year offensively, held them six points. I think we, I think we saw the Lions. To me, this was a big test for them. You're playing a team in Tampa who's, at least the first few weeks, seemingly overachieved a little bit. Baker, who has seemingly overachieved a little bit. And that's a team with real talent offensively and they were able to hold him six points. I felt like that was a big step forward for this Lions defense.
2: I agree 100%. Um, I was very happy with the way they played. Um, and knowing that uh, that Baker Mayfield could be sporadic with his throws and somehow they'd they they get executed, I think they did a very, very well, uh, good job. And that was your number two? No, my number three. Okay, so my number three is the Jets' defense is really good, and the, Philly, and the Philadelphia Eagles are not that great. But Jalen Hurts is clearly is clearly better than Zach Wilson by a mile. I, we talked about that earlier, um, so I'm not going to really elaborate anymore. Just that I think they've had a problem offensively since game one against the Patriots. But um, the Jets defense is the real deal. Who's your next one?
0: Oh my, my fourth surprise is Mac Jones. I'm am surprised he wasn't benched. I I know they, I know they scored a touchdown late, but I mean, just watching that game, it's hard to watch Mac, jo- or Mac Jones.
1: He just plus it just it just there seems
0: to be a lack of confidence maybe it's just maybe it's just his overall talent or his faith in the coaching staff but it just right now the Patriots are a mess and I was I was surprised they didn't bench Mac Jones he, he just it just it's just not working like I don't know if there's anything other to say that it's not working and they need to do something differently whether it is Bailey Zappi whether it is Malik Cunningham whether it is Will Gear off the practice squad. They need to
2: do something because what they're doing right now is not working. Agreed. Um, my fourth one is Mike Evans is not playing the way he should. Since week two wrapped up, he has averaged only 53.75 yards a game. And four out of the five games he's actually played this season missing one game. In the game against Chicago, in Chicago, he had 171 yards. And that's the only anomaly of a game he's had this whole season. There's something wrong with Mike Evans. I don't know what it is. I don't know. If he's trying to protect his body, um, but he's not the same player as he's been for the past many years he's been in this league. That's my two cents on that. Any comment or you want to go to your next one?
0: Uh, let's go to the next one. Okay. For for me, my last surprise was 49ers run game and it being really bad. Outside of Chris McCaffrey, who got hurt in this game, he had a 27-yard long run. Take away that, they had 24 carries for 81 yards, about 3.3 yards to carry. That, to me, was the most surprising part. I know the Browns have a good defense, but that's what the 49ers hang their hat on, is being able to run the ball and then create their passing game off the run. The fact that once McCaffrey got hurt, they were basically punchless offensively. That That, to me, should be a big concern. Because if he's out any extended amount of time, I worry about their offense and their ability to run the ball and then throw the ball off of their
2: run game. That should be interesting going down going down the stretch of the season. Um my number five is I was definitely surprised to see the Carolina Panthers start off with a 14-0 score early on against the number one offense in the league and the Dolphins, which didn't last long as they lost to the Dolphins 42-21. But it was still good to see them have some type of rhythm, some type of some type of momentum and back-to-back drives to score. I'm not sure what happened or why it happened, but that was still good to see Bryce Young gets some confidence in his in his throwing game. What happened after that? It disappeared, or, or it had to have, or something happened with the receivers, but yeah. Um, it was still good to see that they were they made somebody panic somewhere. That's my fifth one. Oh, overall, I think with a with
0: what we're seeing to get to the dolphins a little bit, is that I think what we saw is that the Panthers came out in their first couple drives, they had direct points they wanted to hit and they hit on those and they were able to score two touchdowns that I think the Dolphins are going to struggle against offenses that know what they want to do and have an identity. Uh, The Panthers, their first, basically their scripted plays worked. Then after that didn't really work. I think when we see the Dolphins play better teams that have more of an identity and better coaching, better players, I think we're going to see the Dolphins defense really start to struggle.
2: We will see. Um, So we're going to go to one of the last segments is the I told you so's my first initial, uh, I told you so is something that we mentioned earlier. And that's that the issue isn't just Daniel Jones in New York. It's Brian Dable. That's enough. That's uh, we already broke that down. So that's, that was my first one. Who do you got?
0: My first one is just the Bears coaching staff. They stink. I've been kind of trying to tell people like their coaching staff is bad and that Yes, Fields has some problems, and he has not really grown as a quarterback, but I think a lot of that is in relation to the Bears coaching staff. I think they stink. They're they're awful, just genuinely
2: awful. I couldn't agree more. He deserves better, even in spite of the injury. They don't know how to coach him whatsoever. Um, Who's your number two? Uh,
0: Josh Allen. I keep telling you he's inconsistent. He's going to be up and down. He's going to be inconsistent. That Sometimes he's going to look like – He's unstoppable, and he's just running through everyone. He's throwing deep passes, and then he has games like this against the Giants, where they very easily could have lost this game, and it would have made no sense at all. Now they're able to; they were able to hang on and win. But this is the type of game that you get from Josh Allen way too often. That yep. it's not oh they play down to their competition. No, it's just there. There are times where there are times where Josh Allen just his play is the problem, and he's so erratic that he keeps other teams in games, and they. And some some of those times they lose games the teams they
2: should not lose. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and that was later on down my list, but I'll I'll, I'll go on that one now. Super uh, superstar quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes or in this case Josh Allen do not have this many mediocre performances on a consistent on a consistent basis ever. Josh Allen is no exception, and he should not have he should not have it.
0: Well, to to me my my thing too is we've seen the Chiefs play down the competition and just okay they're it looks like they're clearly not focused or. Maybe not fo- not focused is not the right word, but they don't really seemingly care. But they're still able to find a way to win the game. Like Adrian, Patrick Mahomes, they're able to put things together and find a way to win the win the game. And this game, in particular, this one right here, again, the Bills played against the Giants. They very easily could have lost. The Giants had the ball on the one yard line with a chance to win the game.
2: Bad officiating.
0: And it just it's one of those things where
2: yeah, coaching.
0: Buffalo, you're you're playing in a division where you have Miami who's in front of you. And you can't really afford to lose games, and having a game like that versus the Giants where they very easily could have lost that, that, that's got to be a little bit concerning, especially as we start getting to the middle point of the season. We start really getting into the meat of the schedule. Okay, my um, was that your number two? That was my number two.
2: Okay, I echoed that one too, so I'm gonna go with my third one, and that's that Desmond Ritter is not a good quarterback. I've said it since last year, um, even though he has never lost at home until today, um. 307 yards, two touchdowns, and three picks is not going to win you a game. Even if you just barely escape it, it may, but it's not going to make you look good. He's not a good quarterback, and he, he doesn't deserve that, start, that starting job in Atlanta. Um, that's my third one. Who you got?
0: My third one is the Panthers. They need another weapon. They trade away DJ Moore so they can move up and get Bryce Young. They really are suffering from not having a weapon. They're, they're really reliant on Adam Thielen, who's an older player. And it's it's one of those, it's one of those things where the Panthers they traded a lot of their assets to go get Bryce Young, so you think you have the quarterback, or at least from an ownership perspective, you think you have the quarterback. Their receivers: Adam Thielen, eleven catches, one hundred fifteen yards, and a touchdown. The next leading receiver was DJ Chark at three catches for twenty six. You can't win like that. You can't win. When you, don't have, when you don't have a secondary weapon for a young quarterback. It's not like it's Pat Mahomes trying to figure it out with other guys. It's Bryce Young, a rookie quarterback, who's already got some limitations himself, and he doesn't really have any weapons. So for, for the Panthers, this was one of the biggest concerns they had coming into the year. It's them
2: not having enough weapons and them needing to go get another one. That's fair. I want to go to my next one. I've said it forever now, and I'm going to have to keep saying it because it keeps happening. And I'm gonna get my point across the NFL has to make it a rule that backup quarterbacks in some in some capacity have to have a designated day where they take all the snaps. Because this is what happens when we get backup quarterbacks, and that's not even saying that all the starting quarterbacks in the NFL give us good quality football, but the backups who come in after these guys, just in case something happens to them because they're either careless or accidents happen, they have to they have to know the system. You are hurting the game of football and wasting the people's money who are paying their good money to see the football whether it's on cable that they have to pay for satellite a provider however or buying a ticket you're wasting people's money because of a quarter another quarterback's ego that's not fair and you're hurting the game of football because they're not playing at a high level when you have people on the street who probably pay better than play better than some of the quarterbacks that you have as a backup or starting quarterback this is the problem when you get a quarterback, a star quarterback who gets hurt because they never they're never ever going to have somebody else to compete with them and they have a random backup guy who's always going to be just a random backup guy who can't do the job probably because he doesn't get the reps that he needs. There's got to be some type of a bargaining agreement that's going to say, "You know what? Put that put my starting quarterback's ego aside. We're going to have to do this just to have an insurance policy because if he doesn't have any any reps for eight months or six months um, six months, and then the playoffs hit, then what? You're in huge trouble. And then you're gonna say, Well, if Mahomes didn't get hurt and this guy didn't come in and we had somebody better, well, you know what? If you had some you probably had somebody good who was just good enough to win you a game, but you didn't put the necessary work in there because of what? You want to hurt Patrick's ego? You wanna hurt Josh Allen's ego? You don't want to hurt Joe Burrow's ego? That's unfair to the game. Get over yourself. We pay you because we care to be entertained. I'm done.
0: My fourth one is CJ Stroud. Uh he's going to be rookie of the year. He deserves to be rookie of the year. He didn't have a great game against the Saints, but I think what we're seeing is that CJ if if they can keep CJ Stroud upright, they're going to have a chance in the playoffs, which is a a crazy thing considering where the Texans were and what we thought of them coming into the year, but CJ Stroud is going to give the Texans a chance mm-hmm. in basically every game. And most and basically any game they they play a team that's not one of the elites
2: in the NFL. They're going to have a chance to win. I think that's fair. And he's a great quarterback, a great young quarterback, who finally threw his first um, interception today. My final one is the Bengals. I t- my final one, I told you so, is the Bengals are going to bounce back. They went 0-3, and now they're 3-3. They just so happen to beat the Seattle Seahawks because of a, b- a bad performance by Geno Smith. However long this, ca- this is going to be for them to maintain this is going to be the question. Can Joe Burrow fight it out? Because of his because of his leg, I don't know. Nobody knows that. But as the season progresses, what happens? The weather gets worse and worse and worse. He slips the wrong way. He's in trouble. Then what? Do you have a backup quarterback that can come in after him and win you games? We're about to find out. Because I don't think he's going to pass any much longer. If, if once it starts snowing, it's just not going to happen. What you got, Jess? My
0: last one is is Daniel Jones related. It's that we saw the Giants play in this game and yes, they they lose, and they only score nine points, but I think the thing I took from this game was that Daniel Jones is not worth $40 million and the gap between him and Tyrod Taylor is not big enough for them to be paying him $40 million and Tyrod Taylor to be the backup. Like I, I think what we saw in this game is that, yes, the Giants had problems. they lost the game, and they're playing Tyrod Taylor, who is their backup. But in many cases, I can make the argument that what they're paying Tyrod Taylor is... What they're paying Tyrod Taylor is more appropriate than what they're paying Daniel Jones. And if you would have taken the money you paid Daniel Jones and put it in other places in the team and had Tyrod Taylor as your starting quarterback, their team would be much better. And I think would be in a much better spot for the future.
2: The Buffalo Bills should have signed Tyrod Taylor when he took him to the playoffs for the first time in, I don't know, what was it, 20 years or 10 years? Um, but they didn't believe in him. And then he went somewhere else and failed because nobody else believed in him. That's not fair. Well, he also, I don't he, if it's a business or not, but he should have been a starting quarterback somewhere in this league. In 2020,
0: he was the starting quarterback for the Chargers. But what happened? He he got a he got a injection into the basically what the rib cage or lung missed that and then Herbert basically took the starting job over and has had it ever since then. Yep. So Tyler Taylor, he just had some bad he has had some bad luck and misfortune in his career. I think this game is an example though of he is a decent starting quarterback who can give you a chance to win. Yeah, maybe he's not the greatest at, in terms of his arm talent or just his overall decision making at times, but he is a good enough quarterback to keep you in games. And I think what we're seeing is that Daniel Jones, who's making 40 million, and Tyrod Taylor, who's making, let's say, two million, the gap between those guys is not so big where you need to be paying one of them 40 million. You take that money and you reinvest it in the team. And yeah, maybe you're going a little bit cheaper at quarterback with Tyrod Taylor. But the, the gap between him and Daniel Jones is not big enough for you to be paying Daniel Jones $40 million and you to have severe limitations on your roster like the Giants do.
2: Is Tyrod Taylor a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins or Kyler Murray?
0: I don't think so. But I think if
2: you put him in the right situation
0: with the right team, he can be serviceable enough to beat guys like that. Would he be better in New Orleans than Derek Carr right now? I don't think there'd be that much of a difference. I'm also not a big Derek Carr guy. I know you're not. I, I, don't think there's a, I don't think there'd be a big difference between you – having Derek Carr as your quarterback
2: or Tyrod Taylor as your quarterback. Okay, I guess the question is, would it be an improvement if he was starting over Derek Carr?
0: I, I would argue it maybe isn't an improvement, but the money you save that you can put into other...
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
0: Or offensive line. I would say that is more cost efficient than paying Derek Carr thirty five or forty million and having him
2: eat that much cap space up. That's fair. Um, any more? And that is it. Okay. Um, I think that's it for me too on the I Told You So's. We've covered the biggest disappointments. The I Told You So's. What else? Big surprises. Biggest surprises. Okay. And let's get to uh, the best team in the AFC. Who do you got? It's the Chiefs. It's still the Chiefs. It will continue to be the Chiefs. It's always the Chiefs. Okay, um, mine is the Jacksonville Jaguars. I went from the Indianapolis Colts for several weeks, but going going off of what I saw today on their quarterback play, oh, they are in huge trouble. And knowing that Anthony Richardson may have season-ending surgery because of his AC joint, they are in trouble. And I think their whole team is going to suffer because of it. Because I think the rest of their team is is fantastic. Um, but that's who I got. Who's your best team in the NFC? My best team in the NFC.
0: I thought about sticking with the 49ers. I will go with the Lions.
2: Interesting. Finally, coming to the blue side. I have the Detroit Lions as the best team in the NFC, and I've had them as the best team in the NFC since week two.
0: Who's your worst team in the AFC? It's the Patriots. Just get him off my screen. I don't want to watch Mac Jones anymore. I don't want to watch him run around and then get outside the pocket, completely miss his target, and throw a bad
2: pick. Just get him off my screen. Please, just go away. I have officially decided if I'm going to, Watch the Patriots. I'ma watch them and die a great death by eating a 30 piece bucket of chicken. Seriously, it's that bad, so I gotta compensate with doing something good for myself. Um, and your worst team in the NFC? Who do you have? Carolina Panthers. They just don't have any weapons. They, their defense at times with their
0: pass rush and some of their players, they could be competitive, but they they just they have no
2: offensive weapons and they just they look directionless. So I have the New York Giants. That's based off of the previous um five weeks because looking at how they play today they played well for the most part they played competitive that's the most important thing for the for most of the games this season uh, yeah this season they haven't played well at all they haven't even played to say in the fight of the game today they did and i was very happy for them um so i had them as the worst team in the nfc but i'm gonna go with you i'm I'm gonna go with um the carolina panthers as you did um you want to read off the uh predictions that get into the predictions for week seven yep we're gonna start with. The Jaguars going to
0: New Orleans to play the Saints on Thursday Night Football. Right now, it is an even spread.
2: So, I'm going to go with the, uh, the Jags.
0: I will also go with the Jaguars. The, okay, our next game is the Cleveland Browns going to Indianapolis to play the Colts. Cleveland's a two, uh, minus two-point favorite.
2: You said Indian who? Uh,
0: the Cleveland Browns and the Indianapolis Colts. Cleveland is a two-point favorite. I got Cleveland. I, I will also take Cleveland. Next game is Buffalo Bills going to New England to play the Patriots. There's no line available as of right now, but my guess is the Bills would probably be a six or seven-point
2: favorite. Over the Patriots? Yeah. They'll probably do, you think, do you think if it wasn't a divisional game, it would be, be a lot larger? I think if it wasn't a divisional
0: game, they're probably a 10-point favorite. With how the Patriots have played, I think they're probably a 10-point favorite. Yeah. Okay. I'm going with the Bills. I will also go with the Bills. We have and our next game is the Washington Commanders going to New York to play the Giants. There is no line available. My my guess as of now, the Commanders probably be, uh, minus probably a minus one point favorite. Although this could easily be a pick'em.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna stay away from this game. I don't know.
0: I, I'll go with the Commanders.
2: I just I don't know if I
0: can trust the Giants coaching staff, which is weird because we we're really hard on Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio. But I, I think the enemy's done a good job with that offense. I can't trust the Giants to score anything more than like maybe 10 points.
2: Well, this is these are two head coaches I don't like at all. Um, I'm uh, I say say game. probably
0: two of the five worst coaches in terms of, I think, performance this year. In terms just what I've seen, at least from coaching, uh, coaching perspective. These two teams have really not impressed me with their coaching. Correct. Our next game is the Detroit Lions going to Baltimore to play the Ravens. Ravens are a two and a half point favorite.
2: The Ravens are a two and a half point favorite. Mm-hmm. And who's your who's your opponent? Lions and Ravens. Oh, i got Lions all day. I'm going to take the Ravens. I don't know how I, they, they, they played like gonna, shit.
0: I think this is going to be a physical game. I will go with the home team. I think this is going to be a physical game. This is going to be a true test for both teams. We're going to see where each of these teams teams are at by the end of the game.
2: Well, this is gonna be a huge game because you got people saying that the Ravens are gonna to go to the Super Bowl. You got people saying the, the Lions are gonna to go to the Super Bowl. Let's see what happens. And if they can beat the Chiefs and they can beat the Ravens, that might be telling for the Detroit Lions and their future. Um, so I want to go with the Lions.
0: Okay, I well I I'm going with the Ravens, and then our next game is the Las Vegas Raiders going to Chicago to play the Bears. Vegas is a is a three point favorite. This should be. This is looking like a game of backup quarterbacks where it looks like Brian Horry is going to be the guy for the Raiders and Tyson Badgett or Nick or Nate Peterman is going to be the quarterback for the Bears. I'm going with the Raiders. I will also go with the Raiders. Just I don't know how you can trust the Bears at this point. It would not shock me if after this week the Bears fired their coaching staff. It They look like a complete mess. Yeah, they're horrible. Next game, Atlanta Falcons going to Tampa to play the Buccaneers. Tampa is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going with uh, Baker Mayfield and the Tampa Bay Bucks. I will also go with the Buccaneers. I don't know how you can trust the Falcons' offense, especially after what we saw from them. It just they're, they're so they're so unpredictable with Desmond Ritter at quarterback.
2: And they I have think so many weapons, and they have they're starting him as quarterback when he has proven to not be a suitable quarterback. Arthur Smith or their GM is a massive fucking problem.
0: And that that's really the thing is this is. This is the type of game where if Desmond Ritter is bad in the first half, I think you have to go to Heineke because this is a divisional game. This is a game that is probably going to end up deciding playoff or who who makes playoffs out of this division. You got to go with the guy who
2: gives you the best chance to win. Mm -hmm.
0: Our next game, the Pittsburgh Steelers going to Los Angeles to play the Rams. Rams are a a three-and-a-half point favorite.
2: So this is tricky for me because I think that, the uh, as I said last week, because they they had a bye week this week, um, the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense is the real deal. There's no doubt about that and T.J. Watt is playing lights out. However, their offense on the Pittsburgh side can't score at all. And once the Rams figure out what they're supposed to do and Sean McVay figures out their offensive scheme and then their identity, actually, um, I think we're going to see a lot more scoring from the Rams. Cooper Cup came back uh, two weeks ago. He played great last week. He played great this week. I think there's no stopping him going forward. The only thing is they have to figure out how to get the balance of a running game into the system and keep Puka Nokua in that offensive um, scheme. So I'm going with the Rams.
0: I will go with the Steelers. I think that I think this is going to be a game. I I think this is going to be a close game. I, I hesitate because I'm not a big fan of Kenny Pickett, but what I do think is that the Steelers will be able to get enough pressure on Stafford to cause a couple turnovers and I think that's basically going to be the difference
2: in the game. I'm sorry. Who do you trust more? Sean McVay or God, or what's his name? Um, who's Matt there? Can- huh?
0: Matt Canada.
2: No. Sean McVay as your head coach or Mike Tomlin. I, I actually trust
0: Mike Tomlin more. Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin always finds a way to win, win these type of games.
2: He does, but when's the last time you saw him in a Super Bowl? And that's okay. You can you can pour to that, but these
0: are the that's, games where we're everyone, talking about.
2: Current we're talking about current stuff here, recent stuff. Everyone, everyone's gonna make the case for
0: the Rams to win this game, and this is always the type of game where the Steelers win because Mike Tomlin has his team ready and they're able to find something to exploit from from the Rams. And for me, I think we saw this a little bit earlier in the season when the Rams played the Bengals and they couldn't stop the Bengals from getting pressure on their offensive line. So I think this game could follow a similar path where the Rams are able to move the ball, but because a couple plays wing this game, TJ Watt or uh, Highsmith, Smith, they get a sack or a sack fumble and it flips the game. I think that's
2: how this game is going to go. Um, That's tough because I, I, I think the Rams are going to, are going to run away with it. But I mean, can you, can you break down why you think that the Pittsburgh Steelers are that are that much better than the Rams? I don't think
0: it's that they're much better than the Rams. I just these are always the type of games. These are always the type of games the Steelers win. They always win these type of games where people kind of count them out and give them, don't give them a chance, and then they beat a team like the Rams who have an obvious flaw like a bad offensive
2: line. Okay, so would you say you ta- who would you take? Let's just break this down real quick. Would you take Matthew Stafford? Or Pickett. I would take Matthew Stafford over Kenny Pickett. Okay, would you take Sean McVay or Mike Tomlin? See, that that's where you're
0: going wrong. Is I in, in this type of game, I would take Tomlin over Big
2: Right I, I uh, that's I, I I see. I, I'm a huge <laughs> Tomlin
0: fan, but I hear you. We've seen McVay struggle with these type of with these type of games where he basically in when they played Cincinnati, he basically gave up. At times during that game in terms of his play calling. When you get pressure on Stafford, McVeigh has trouble McVay has trouble adjusting the pressure like that. Okay, and so you I have
2: the Steelers have the ability to get pressure like Cincinnati did. You have one for Pittsburgh, you have one for Rams. So if you got George Pickens versus Cooper Cup, who you taking?
0: I'd probably take I'm probably taking Cooper Cup, but that this game is gonna come down to Mike Tomlin versus McVay and can Tomlin get pressure on Stafford? That's what this game
2: is going to come down to. Okay, so you're you're going two one Rams so far. Are you going TJ Watt or Aaron Donald? At this point, I'm going TJ Watt over Aaron Donald. Okay. So they're 2-2. Who else do they have to throw to on the Pittsburgh side? Because I don't see them having a number two wide receiver that's going to compete with Puka Nakua. Yeah, that's not how the game is measured, though. The the game's going to come down to a couple plays. Jalen Warren is not even in the same league as Puka Nakua.
0: I am banking on the fact that the Rams are not going to be able to block Pittsburgh for a few plays in this game, and that whether it's T.J. Watt or Highsmith or whoever it is, they're going to make a play because the Rams offensive line is not that great, and they have problem dealing with pressure.
2: Well, I think that the running game is a lot better than than Mike Tomlin's Pittsburgh Steelers, Um, and I think that's a huge difference in this game. And and Kenny Kenny Pickett is not truly a mobile quarterback. Matthew Stafford is running a lot more than this guy. There is no way in hell you think that this team is going to beat that team. I don't understand. You're You're focused too much
0: on the, oh, how do they match up? it comes, to, it's going to come down to a couple plays. And I feel like the Steelers are going to make them more than I do. The Rams think are going to, then I think the Rams are going to make those plays. And it has, it's mainly to do with the fact that I can see a obvious weakness with the Rams that the Steelers can exploit.
2: This is going to be a great game. Okay. Um. Who's next,
0: Jess? Arizona goes to Seattle, to play the Seahawks. Arizona is an, or
2: Seattle is an eight point favorite. This is tough because it's a divisional game. And, um, I think that Joshua Dobbs has played really, really well, Um, considering all the losses his team has suffered. He has played very, very well. Um, And he's a very good mobile quarterback. So this is going to be tough. Um, if the defense can step up from Seattle like it did several weeks ago, um, I believe it was against um, the Giants, which did not say anything, but they just destroyed that team. If they can do that to this team, who has the same record, I'm going to have to go with the Seahawks. Trusting that Geno Smith does the right things.
0: I'm also gonna go with Seattle. I just, I feel like we're kind of at the point where the Cardinals have kind of shown everything they have, and there's not really much more they have left. Okay. And then we have Green Bay, uh, the Green Bay Packers going to Denver to play the Broncos. Green Bay is a one and a half point favorite.
2: I Think is a shit show.
0: I'm gonna, I'm going to take Green Bay, but I feel like this is th- this game's going to come to g- this game is coming down to which go- which Jordan Love are we going to get. Are we gonna get week one, two, three, Jordan Love, or the Jordan Love we've seen the last couple weeks? This is at Denver. This is in Denver. Yes,
2: I'm gonna go with the Broncos. To me,
0: this, this game is this game is gonna come down to which quarterback messes up. Like it, I, I I hate to just boil it down to just one thing, but it feels like this game is gonna be decided by which quarterback throws picks or has bad turnovers. It's both these teams feel like they're kind of even. Agreed. And then we have. The Los Angeles Chargers going to Kansas City to play the Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs are a five and a half point
2: favorite. Um, I think it's going to be a blowout. And I'm going the Chiefs. Um, 37-14. I will also go with the Chiefs.
0: I think this is an interesting game for the Chargers because I feel like this is kind of a... They, they started out 0-2. They've won the last two games. They're going to play the Cowboys on Monday night. I I feel like the Chargers are an interesting spot because I think they're going to try to throw a lot at the Chiefs, but I also just think they match up very poorly against the Chiefs. I think oh, Chiefs now we want to compare matchups, but okay. i just well. I th- I think they, the Chargers always try to play the Chiefs tough, and they they just they throw their best stuff at the Chiefs. I feel like in this game though, I think we're going to really see the issues with Brandon Staley, and I feel like this is kind of a. In a way, this is kind of a make-a-brick game for him, but I'm not a big fan of Brandon Staley, and I think you can kind of already see the cracks with their team. Yes. Especially with some of the decision-making, going back to that Vikings game, they were able to pull out because Kirk Cousins did the pick on the goal line. The fact he even gave the Vikings a chance to win that game is showing a lot of flaws with Brandon Staley and him just overthinking things and him not being in full control. And I think this is going to be the game where we, can, we see the Chargers start to kind of fall apart.
2: I, I, I could see that. I, I got them in a blowout. What's your score on that game?
0: I will go Chiefs 31, Chargers 13.
2: Well, we're right next to each other. Okay.
0: this Our Sunday night game, Miami Dolphins go to Philadelphia to play the Eagles. Eagles are a two-and-a-half point favorite.
2: Um, So this is the thing I've been pointing out since week one. The Eagles' offense is not that great. The Miami Dolphins' offense is that great. The Philadelphia Eagles' defense is really good. The Miami Dolphins' defense is not. This is going to come down to scoring. And the people who score the best are people like Tyree Kill and Tua. So I'm going to go with the Miami Dolphins.
0: I will go with the Philadelphia Eagles. I think the difference in this game is going to be... I think it's going to be pressure on the quarterback, and I think, I think and trust the Eagles will be able to get a little more pressure than the Dolphins do. I think that's basically going to be the difference in the game.
2: Okay.
0: And then we go to our Monday night game, which is the San Francisco 49ers going to Minnesota to play the Vikings. San Francisco is a seven-point favorite.
2: Um, I got San Francisco.
0: I'm going to take the Vikings. I think, I think this is set up that the San Francisco, San Francisco was beat up enough that the Vikings are able to steal one. I've been kind of going back and forth in this one. So about if if Samuel and McCaffrey don't play, I think the 49ers is going to have trouble generating offense.
2: Okay, uh, I and mean, that's fair. I, I went with the Vikings too earlier, um, but I didn't. So I just figured I'd go this way. Um, I kind of thought you were going to go with this way because I know you don't like Kirk Cousins at all, but that's a fair point.
0: I think this, yeah, I, I think it's truly a game where San Francisco is going to have to overcome not having their pieces and they're not, a, and the, it's not like the Vikings are a great team, but this is a big test for Purdy if he's not going to have his pieces that can you in a, in a game carry your team to victory? Can you get them a W? And I think this is really his first big test where he's not going
2: to have all his pieces. I could see that. Um, and who's Monday night? That was the Monday night game. Oh, that was a Monday night. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts on the rest of the week or what? Overall, I think
0: the, I think the schedule next week is pretty strong. We're getting to the point where there's a lot of there's a lot of games that are going to be make or break. Uh, for example, Commanders, they're three and three. They're playing the Giants. Um, th- this is a game where if you're the Commanders and you want to make playoffs, you have to be the Giants. The Giants are one and five. You got to put the nail in the coffin of their season. You win, and you get yourself one step closer to the playoffs. If you're a team like the Lions, you're playing the Ravens, one of the I would say one of the better teams in the AFC. You win you go in there and you win the game. You've established yourself as one of the top teams in the NFL and put yourself in prime position to get the one seed in the NFC. And then I think you look at a you look at a game like the Browns playing the Colts in Indianapolis. This is a game if you're the Browns, whether it's PJ Walker or Deshaun Watson playing. And this is a big game. You win this game, you go to four and two and we really start talking about you as a team that could possibly win the the AFC North. Yes. So those are three games that I think are pretty important headed into this next week.
2: I couldn't agree more. Um, and you will be doing a a take on tomorrow's, um, tomorrow's game between the uh, Dallas Cowboys and the Los Angeles Chargers, correct? Yes.
0: After the game, quick recap of the game, thoughts and opinions, kind of figuring out – our thoughts, or at least my thoughts, getting my thoughts as to what happened in that game.
2: Okay, sounds good. Um, I think my last closing thing I want to, well, I want to talk about, just real quick. I know we're kind of going I'm a little bit long. Um, I should be able to shorten the time though. Do you have a top five quarterback list of current quarterbacks? Just off the, yes, just off the top of your head, based off this season.
0: I would say you have Mahomes, you have Allen,
2: you have Hurts. You have Trevor Lawrence. In that order?
0: Yeah, I would say. You, would,
2: you would put Josh Allen over Trevor Lawrence in that order after Trevor Lawrence beat him? Yeah, because Josh Allen still has the – we've oh, seen Josh on. Allen.
0: And Trevor Lawrence do for 180 yards a day. I, I, and you know I love Trevor Lawrence. Do for 180 yards a day. It's not, like he did a, it's not like he did a ton. I still want to see the game where he has the 300 yard, three touchdown performance, and he carries the team to victory. And then for my fifth-best quarterback, I think you start to have a discussion about Lamar. Ah, uh, Burrow. If he was healthy, obviously Burrow would be that guy. I think I'd still put Burrow as the fifth guy, but that it, it's it's a very soft fifth because I just I don't know if you can keep him there if if he's not fully healthy.
2: I think that's a fair statement. Um, can you give me that five in, in order one more time, please? Mahomes, yes. Allen, Hurts, Lawrence, and then Burrow. Okay, okay, that's fair. Um, so my my top five, just based on the on the top of my head, just going down in order. It's Mahomes, it's Jared Goff, I'm surprised he wasn't in your list, um, Matthew Stafford, uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, no, Trevor Lawrence, Jalen Hurts, those are my five, and I think um, they're right in the position. I don't think Josh Allen has done enough this season to say, you know what, I'm better than most of those guys, besides, he, he if anything, he should be fighting for the number three spot, and he, he hasn't done good at all to me. Um he has moments here and there, but he's lost. Just looking at him in so many big games, um, it, it just it doesn't sit well with me. Joe Burrow doesn't deserve to be in the top five. Um,
0: I think you're weighing too much of this season, though. Like, what is what has Jared Goff really done? What? What has Jared you're,
2: Goff really done? I I, I I asked you for the list based off of this season thus far.
0: Yeah, but I mean, you also have to take into account what they've done in the past. Like, no, you can't. It's in the it's, past. It doesn't matter. The best indicator of future oh, success. Oh my God. The best indicator of future success is what you've done in the past. Well, yeah. Jared when's Goff- the last
2: time Josh Allen won an MVP?
0: Ja- exactly. Jared, Jared, Goff, Jared Goff, for the most part, has been a fairly average quarterback. Josh Allen has been an MVP finalist. And he didn't win it. He didn't, but he was in, he a finalist. He's had some nice seasons before.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Well, when's the last time Jared Goff won a playoff game?
2: Um, last last game? Hold on. Last time he went to the Super Bowl? What's your point? No, he actually won a playoff game in
0: 2020.
2: Okay. Well, then that's my point. He's won more playoff games than Josh Allen. Not, and... not Huh? He hasn't won
0: playoff games more recently.
2: Oh, please. But you just said history is everything. Come on now. Quit pushing that bar further and further back. He is
0: playing for another team.
2: You're you're skewing your argument to justify your horrible opinion. Josh, and the that's last, not good.
0: Josh Allen the last three years. Number two seed, number four yeah. seed. And they lost to the Bengals. Actually, he was the number two seed last year. And they lost to the Bengals. Yeah, he's been in the playoffs. Because he played horribly. Jared Goff, Goff has been in the playoffs the last two seasons. It's kind of okay.
2: hard. It's he, kind still of hard. It's the- he still took his team to the, to the, to the Super Bowl. Has Josh Allen ever did that? Nope. Never. Has Trevor Lawrence ever done that? No. No, the Rams went to the Super Bowl. It wasn't
0: really Jared Goff taking him to the Super Bowl. It was the Rams going to the Super Bowl. Okay,
2: yeah, Whatever.
0: Yeah, nice Super Bowl he had
2: there. That's a joke. That's a joke of an argument that you're making. That's ridiculous. Nice. Well, Jared Goff had as he had a whopping three points. Please. A whopping three points. Uh huh. You're t- that. That is insane. I literally asked for the top five quarterbacks thus far throughout this season. You can't go back. Oh well, he did this. He did that. He did that, but he didn't accomplish anything. So that doesn't matter. We're talking about now.
0: We are six weeks into the NFL season. I am not calling Jared Goff a top five quarterback because he's been nice to.
2: He, through played, this, through or, this, through thus far this season, that's ridiculous. That's unfair to him because you don't like him. He's average.
0: You you like average quarterbacks. You you were telling me last week about how the fucking Colts were the best team in the AFC. The
2: Colts were the best team, even regardless of the quarterback situation. They were. You you are reactionary. You like you're be, you're you're going off of Patrick Patrick Mahomes' history. You, he hasn't you, done shit this year. You like to be reactionary. I'm giving And I'm a Chiefs fan. Facts, I can say that. I'm honest. Data. I'm giving
0: you facts, data... I give fair and, and balanced opinions. Facts, data... Thank you. And fair analysis. That's me. You are giving shitty opinions like, oh, fucking big... Fucking mustachio, fake Baker Mayfield. Gardner Minshew is leading the best team in the AFC.
2: You know, that's just unfair. That man was offered a porn contract, and he should have done it and played football. But I'm not... I'm going to digress right there, Okay. You're, you cannot do that if I'm asking for the top quarterbacks you're, this year. You're, ask, you're asking for reactionary opinions. I'm here to
0: not give reactionary opinions. You're giving horrible, you're giving horrible, horrible opinions. Great opinions. while well, you're giving reactionary opinions and reactionary analysis.
2: So you think Josh Allen is better than Jared Goff this year?
0: Yeah. He's a better player than Jared Goff. Easily. Like,
2: this year? Hold on. How has he shown it? Because the numbers gonna, don't back it up. I gonna, he is. He's a Hold a, on, the numbers don't back it up. How has he shown it? He's a just watch him play. Yeah. Oh, now you want to go off the eye test. Here any other time go to the numbers.
0: The best offensive line in the NFL and good playmakers with defenses playing pretty well. Josh Allen's playing with largely who? Stephon Diggs, who hates him, and Gabe Davis, who's occasionally okay.
2: On that note, stay tuned for Jesse Jay's analysis of the Cowboys-Chargers game tonight. Um, that'll be coming up after this show. Stay tuned for that. Jesse, any more comments you want to mention? I think that about sums it up. We've been a great show. Um, we hope to see you guys next time. Please come back, listen to us. Thank you for all your time. Uh, we truly appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Jesse, I'll talk to you later. Yeah.
0: So, getting into the Monday Night Football game, the Cowboys beat the Chargers 20 to 17. We're going to start with the Cowboys first. The Cowboys go to 4 and 2. Dak Prescott was 21 of 30 for 272 yards, one touchdown. He also had seven carries for 40 yards, and a touchdown. He averaged 9.1 yards in attempt. I think this game came down to Dak Prescott just playing better than Justin Herbert. I think Dak Prescott overcame Mike McCarthy and some of his play-calling issues and just some of the scheme issues the Cowboys have. The biggest play in this game was Dak Prescott getting out of a sack, throwing the ball to Tony Pollard, Tony Pollard breaking a few tackles, getting all the way down the 16-yard line. They were then able to score a touchdown, which really was the difference in this game. I think... With the Cowboys, we're seeing that Mike McCarthy, I think, is the biggest issue. I don't really like his scheme, and his play calling, because what the Cowboys do is they'll run what Mike McCarthy likes, and if it doesn't work, then they're in trouble, and you're basically asking Dak to bail you out. And when it does, it's fine, but that's any team. When they're calling the stuff that they want to run, and it works, they look good. I think a lot of it comes from Mike McCarthy, his kind of inability to adjust and be creative. And with a quarterback like Dak Prescott, you can't expect him to be a Mahomes, Allen, or at least when he's healthy, Joe Burrow-level quarterback. You need the play calling to help elevate him and keep him at a high level in terms of his quarterbacking. And I think that's something we've never seen Dak with and why he gets fair criticism, but I think at times it's a little bit too much because he's never really had an elite coach. It's been Jason Garrett and Mike McCarthy. Yes, he had Kellen Moore and they've let Kellen Moore go, and now it's Mike McCarthy calling the plays again. But I think even what we're seeing with Kellen Moore is that he is a solid young offensive line, but I don't, think he's, I don't think he's anything better than a Mike McCarthy. But to finish up with the Cowboys, I think we have to kind of readjust our expectations for them. Our expectation should be that they're a competitive team in the NFC, but maybe not a, maybe not a championship level team unless they get the right matchups, because this this game was a game where things weren't working and you had to had Dak bail you out, and I just question if Dak can do that consistently in the playoffs against better teams with better defenses and better coaching. I think with Mike McCarthy as their coach, you are going to be consistently at a disadvantage because I'm just I'm just not a big fan of him, and I I think what we see is in a lot of these games he makes a lot of boneheaded decisions getting to the chargers they fall to two and three herbert was 22 of 37 227 yards two touchdowns one interception average 6.1 yards in a tap. brandon I, i think this was the case in point of brandon Staley maybe not being a great coach i felt like his decision making once again you either gotta have to you either have to be the guy that always goes for it or you go for it in situations I feel like that's part of his issue, is that he started out as a guy who's always going to go for it, and now he's kind of, he pulled it back, and now it's just, it feels like his decision making is really erratic. With Justin Herbert, he had a chance late in the game to win. They got the ball back with two minutes, and they're down 20-17. to 17. That's your time to go either get a field goal and get the game to overtime, or you go down and score a touchdown and win the game. And I feel like when the Chargers play good teams, more often than not, they lose these games. That, yeah, okay, you come back against the Raiders or the Broncos or the Patriots. Fine. That's great. And obviously, you want your quarterback to be able to come through in those situations. But when you're an elite, high-level quarterback, that's the expectation, is that you're going to go down, you're going to get points, and you're going to put your team in position to win. And I don't think Herbert does that against the good teams in the NFL. We've seen Patrick Mahomes go down and score points in big games. We've seen Josh Allen do it. We've seen Joe Burrow do it. We've seen Jalen Hurts do it, and I don't feel like we have seen that from Herbert yet. Nick Wright made a good point where Herbert came into the league as a B plus A minus level quarterback. He has not improved since that point. You could make the you could make the case he might even be a B level quarterback right now. That. He's playing more like a B to B-plus level quarterback than a B-plus A-minus level quarterback, which is what we saw his first couple years in the league. Then, I would say since 2022 and coming into 2023, I think we've seen him drop in terms of his level of play. And to me, that's got to be concerning if you're a Chargers fan. And with Brandon Staley, I, just, I think you have to be done with it. I think you have to get rid of him. Kellamore, I don't think he's done a terrible job, but I mean... I don't think it's been anything great. Yes, they've had injuries. But that always seems to be the case with the Chargers. Is that somebody's always getting hurt. And it's never anybody, It's never Herbert's fault. It's not Brandon Staley's fault. Eventually, those two guys, those are the two faces of the team. Your head coach and your quarterback. And they, they constantly don't get these things done. Elite, high-level quarterbacks always put their teams in position to be in the playoffs. And with Herbert, it's a struggle for them to even be 500. And I think what we're seeing is that Herbert might be a bigger problem than maybe Brandon Staley, but I still think Brandon Staley is a big problem and they need to move on from him. Because it's felt like multiple times this season. The Vikings game, they were able to escape with a win. The Dolphins game, Herbert had a chance to win that game and they lost. And then tonight, you lose the game to the Cowboys with a chance with two minutes, you have the ball, It's time to go get that game to overtime or win it in regulation. When it comes to Justin Herbert, I'm not trying to be overly critical with him. But I feel like we're too afraid to say what he actually is. Which is, he came into the league and you could see the potential. Like, he's got the arm, he's got the mobility. He has everything you want in a quarterback. But when it comes down to wins and losses, which I know... I know people like to argue, is a, court, is a win a quarterback stat, is a lost quarterback stat. He has a track record of not being able to get these things done. And I think what you've seen, with the guys who you think are high-level quarterbacks, they get their teams to the playoffs, they win playoff games, and that's something Herbert can't do. Even Philip Rivers, he was able to get his teams to the playoffs a couple times and win. I think, if anything, we're seeing Herbert maybe follow the Philip Rivers um, kind of career But I think even some of that was just more of the Chargers not being able to put a team around him. The Chargers have individual talent that's really good. You have Joey Bosa. You have Khalil Mack. You have Derwin James. You have Asante Samuel on defense. On offense, yes, you lose Mike Williams, but you have Keenan Allen. They drafted Quentin Johnson in the first round. Gerald Everett is a nice tight end. Austin Eckler, solid running back. He didn't have a great game in this game coming back from injury. I wouldn't be too worried about that right now. But they have the pieces to be successful, and they just haven't been successful. And I think some of that has to fall to me Herbert, and it's weird how people are so overprotected of him. Like th- this, if 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 this was any other quarterback, if this was if this was if this was, I would even say what Trevor Lawrence has been, because I don't think Trevor Lawrence has been that much better than than a Justin Herbert. He really only has one more win that is a big time deal than Justin Herbert, which was the playoff game in which the Chargers blew the lead. But I feel more confident about Herbert being able to come through in some of those situations than I do. Or I feel I feel better about Lawrence, excuse me. I feel better about Lawrence being able to come through in those situations than Herbert. and Because we saw it. Trevor Lawrence in the playoffs. You need to drive down, get points to win in a playoff game. He did it. Justin Herbert, your team's struggling. You need to go down and get points. He was unable to do it. And I feel like those two quarterbacks are pretty comparable because they have, some, they have some similar traits. They're both big quarterbacks, highly successful in college. And we're seeing Trevor Lawrence, who I still don't think he's got to the level I want him to yet, but at least I've seen it in a playoff game and I've seen it in a couple of big moments. Herbert, he's done, it, he's done it a couple times, but I feel like more often than not when he plays teams like the Chiefs, when you play teams like the Eagles... When you play teams like the Bills, when you play teams like the Bengals, it's not happening for him This year, the Dolphins, week one, you have a chance to go down and win, and they don't do it. Against a Titans team that has largely been bad this year, had a chance to win the game, doesn't do it. And it's not me trying to be uh, Herbert hater, but I think we just have to identify that, man, he hasn't lived up to expectations. Like, we expected him to be in the mahomes allen Burrow Hurts level of quarterback where yeah, this guy's a quarterback of your team. You're gonna win, even 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 if you're playing a Chiefs team that you think is better, you're gonna win ten or eleven games and be a playoff team. Right now, this doesn't look like a playoff team. And maybe they're able to turn it around and fix it, but I just I think the track record would show you that Harvard's gonna kinda be what he is, Brandon Steel is gonna kinda be what he is. I I think the one thing the Chargers could do is maybe try to go spend money and maybe it's a Lincoln Riley Maybe it's a Ryan Day. Try to go get an offensive line. Maybe the guy is Eric Biennemi. Try to go get as good of an offensive line as you can and see if that helps Herbert maybe play a little bit more consistently. Because Herbert's first two years, he was a fairly electric player and you could see the talent. You could see the playmaking late in games. I don't feel like we've really seen that level of play from Herbert. It's really since that last game against the Raiders, they lost on Sunday Night Football. Because that was the game where he's dragged him down the field, and he he dragged him he dragged him down the field, got him points, they got to overtime, he wasn't able to put the ball in the end zone, but that was the game where it really felt like everyone was really tired in that game, and that Herbert just kind of ran out of gas. But he at least put him in position to be a playoff team with his performance in that game. And that, that, that was the game where the Chargers call timeout, the Raiders run the ball, get a first down, kick field goal instead of taking the tie. And the Raiders clinch a playoff spot instead of it ending in a tie. And the Raiders and Chargers both clinching a playoff spot. And I feel like since that game, we haven't really seen Herbert play at that elite level where I'm just going to put the team on my back and score points. And yes, I I, I know they did win that game. It ended with the Raiders winning in overtime. But Herbert showed you he could do it. It felt like that was the moment where he, in that next season going into 2022, was going to take the next step and be an elite level quarterback. And since that game, I don't think we've seen that level of Herbert. Which leads me to believe that they need to make a change with their entire staff. You need to go hire an Eric enemy, completely change over your play calling, everything. And I like Kellen more. I think he'll get another job. Just You have to go full in on getting a good offensive mind and see if that can get Herbert back to his play from his first couple seasons. Because that quarterback, I think, had the chance to develop into something special. This guy does not seem like he's going to develop into something special, at least from what I've seen the last two years. So my, I, my two final thoughts are, the Cowboys, their biggest problem is Mike McCarthy. I think what we're seeing from Dak is that he is a really, he's a really good franchise-level quarterback, but he can't, you can't expect him to be Mahomes. You can't expect him to be Allen. You can't expect him to be Burrow. He's going to be in that kind of next tier underneath where he can't win despite some of the flaws they have. He can do it against some of the lower-level teams, but against a team like the 49ers, against a team like the Eagles, I would even say maybe against a team like the Lions. He's not going to be able to do that. You're going to need better coaching. And I think the Cowboys could do that. You, just, you have to have Jerry Jones move off some of these guys like Jason Garrett and Mike McCarthy. He's got to go get a real bona fide coach. And, and it's not just coaching credentials like, oh, Mike McCarthy, you know, he won a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. No, I mean, you have to go get a coach that's going to be able to put you in the right schemes and positions for Dak Prescott to be successful you need to be better you need to be able to scheme better or as good as the 49ers or Eagles you need to be able to scheme as good as what the Dan Campbell's doing with the Lions right now and Mike McCarthy I just don't think he's at that level and with the Chargers it's you're gonna play the Chiefs next week in Kansas City this is a do or die game if you fall two and four you're probably not gonna make the playoffs at that point, you have to make a decision with Brandon Staley. Do you keep him or do you let him go? Because my guess is that this game is going to go down like it normally does. The Chargers will be super competitive. They'll probably make a mistake late. And they'll lose to the Chiefs. The worst thing that could happen is that they go into Kansas City and get blown out. Because at that point, you have to get rid of Brandon Staley. You get rid of Brandon Staley. You elevate whoever you want to. I, I, at this point, you give Kellen Moore a chance and see if him running the show, maybe, maybe something clicks with him and he's able... To help elevate Herbert, just something changes? I don't know. But this is a big game. If they get run off the field, then you just you absolutely have to get rid of him this week. My guess is it'll be pretty close and that they'll lose to the Chiefs. And then I think we really have to sit down and have a conversation about what can the Chargers do to get Herbert back to being a elite-level prospect or just a, a fringe elite-level prospect? And... Is Brandon Staley the guy to do it? My guess is it's no. And then you have to start talking about, okay, who are some of the coaches available that we can go get, hopefully to turn around Herbert and get him back to playing at a at a level where we think he could be an elite guy eventually. Overall, I thought this was a pretty entertaining game. It just, it was, it was odd. It was odd to see two coaches where you felt like they were always going to mess up at some point. And it was kind of entertaining. It's one of those ones where you... You kind of, you're covering your eyes, but you're also peeking at the same time because there's just, there were bad special teams plays, bad play calls, and then it ends with the Herbert interception because, of course, it does.
2: Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Referendum Podcast brought to you by Finn Flam Sports. We would like to invite you to like us on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you can find somebody, we're there. TikTok. Please like, subscribe, follow. Whatever you can do to give us your support, we truly appreciate it. We hope to see you next time. You don't. We need to make a change one day.